Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. Because uh, you're all so excited about the APCM, aren't you? That's why you're here. Woo! Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, do please stay for the APCM. If you just decided to rock up for the service, that's great. Uh, but would it be even better if you stayed for the meeting and took part in that? Uh, the whole point of the meeting is that you um, get to vote on certain things, particularly who goes on to church council. And uh, if you've signed uh, an electoral roll form, you are able to vote. If you haven't, you're unable to vote, unfortunately. But uh, that does not mean that you cannot be on the electoral roll. So we want to still encourage you to sign up for that if you uh, would like to. The electoral roll is a kind of membership list, uh, just saying that you belong here. So it matters a little bit. And um, we would like you to feel that you belong here. So do please stay for the APCM. I'm not, I was going to shame you and say, right, who's not staying? Put your hands in the air. But I won't do that. I actually love APCMs. Uh, I love this time of year because, not just because of APCMs, um, but because all around this country, uh, there are mainly men, but also women, who um, are getting really, really excited. Football. That's right, Rob knew exactly what I was talking about. For all sorts of reasons, they're getting really excited. Excited about the possibility of, for instance, Liverpool winning the league. Well, Steve Lyons is our token Man City supporter. He's the only one... Oh, have we got another one? No, no! Oh, dear, this church has gone to the dogs. Oh, my word. Uh, But there are also... um, all sorts of reasons why fans are getting excited at the other end of the table as they're trying to urge their teams forward and hopefully get a result that allows them to stay in the Premier League or the Championship or League One. It's a time of great excitement for football fans. It's a time of great excitement about what may be or what may happen for next season. And uh, more than any other time of the year, this is the time where fans get really agitated. And uh, they, you can see it on their faces when uh, you look, watch Match of the Day and you see it goes pans around the stands. Uh, any Man United supporters here? Yeah, there's one, okay, there's a couple. Uh, so uh, there was a great image uh, last week after Everton scored their fourth goal of a Man United fan just going like, ah, ah, like that. You just, you just couldn't believe it. It's a great time of year. And of course, it gets really frustrating, especially at the, other, at the bottom end of the table where in the search for points, a manager might say to their team, right, guys, all we're going to do is try and play out for a draw. Let's play defensively. Let's not allow them to score. And they kind of back off two banks of four, just backing against uh, the offensive team. And uh, at that point, fans always get agitated because they don't want to see their team playing like that. They don't want to see their team on the back foot defending. They want to see their team going forward and attacking because that's more exciting, it's more fun and it's actually what football is all about. It is about winning, not the taking part, isn't it? <laughs> and then of course there's all those, uh, there are the fans, like for instance Man United fans, uh, who have nothing to play for and are simply just living in the past. Who are just re- reflecting on great glory. It's not just Man United fans, there are other fans. Oh, do you remember 30 years ago when we did this? And of course, as a Liverpool fan, I've been there. 
not having won the league for, is it 27 years? <sighs> this could be the year. Anyway, um, so you either can end up watching your team playing on the back foot and you're urging them forward, or you end up kind of just reflecting on past glories. And church can be like that. When church is in a, a good place, it is easy to be on the front foot. But so many churches these days are struggling and are on the back foot. They're kind of playing the defensive line. They're trying to just survive. Hopefully just get a draw if they're lucky. Or just living on past glories, remembering how it used to be 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's really easy for churches to to reflect on their situation, get so overwhelmed with their situation, so overwhelmed with their internal issues, that actually going on the offensive, living forward, seems like it's not an option. Oh, great, we've got images now, fantastic. Um, And that's what's happening in Corinth when Paul writes this letter to them. Because they've got a whole bunch of issues that they're dealing with. And if you read 1 Corinthians, particularly verses uh, chapters 1 to 15, uh, you'll see all those issues brought to life. Issues around which leader to follow. Because they were all in different factions. They weren't a united church. There's a real lack of unity across the whole of the church about all sorts of things. About worship. There's a sexual issue going on. There's all sorts of conflict about what to believe. Conflict about the Lord's Supper. All sorts of things going on. And they were kind of just imploding. And if you go through the list of all the issues that they dealt with as a church, they are actually a very contemporary list of what causes churches to close today. It's always about leadership and worship style or sexual issues. Or the other thing would be money. And all sorts of churches implode on those issues. And Paul, in his letter, addresses all of those issues. But then throughout the letter, and he does this in other letters as well, throws in a sense of urgency to try and put them back on the front foot and not the back foot. And that's why we had uh, our reading today. So uh, even though I'm focusing on our verse for the year and the next verse... Uh, I wanted to put it in context, because in that passage, Paul is saying, uh, oh, send greetings to these, and don't forget to look after this person, I'm sending Timothy, kind of just housekeeping stuff and greeting stuff, and then in the middle of that, he suddenly remembers, I need to get them onto the front foot, and says to them that, which is... Okay, let's try again, which is... Be courageous, be strong. It's a weird little interjection in that whole list of things that he's saying. It just stands out, doesn't it? I'm sure you noticed as you heard Rob read it, it was kind of all kind of banal kind of stuff. And then he says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Do everything in love. Oh, and then don't, don't forget Stephanus. It's kind of like, it's just an interjection of urgency. Don't forget, guys, you've got to be on the front foot, is what he's saying. 
He's like a fan cheering them on. He doesn't want them to get so overwhelmed by the issues that they go on the back foot. He wants them to go on the front foot. Because every church, especially then and especially now, is a missional front foot church. We should be moving forward, not going backwards. Every church should be like that. When we, uh, we chose that verse, uh, for all sorts of reasons, we didn't include the verse after it. And I wonder now whether that was a mistake. Because that verse 14 is, and do everything in love. Wow. Why? I'm stupid. I didn't put it on. I don't know why. But what a powerful little phrase that is. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. In fact, that verse could be described as be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do it all in love. Do all of what I've just said in love. And I want to look at our Bible verse today through the lens of love. Okay, that's what I'm going to do today. What does it mean to be on your guard in love and to stand firm in the faith in love? Because love should be our defining characteristic. Your faith isn't your defining characteristic. Love should be. Why? Because what does Paul say? There is faith and there's hope and there's love, but which is the greatest? And in this uh, book, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says this, If I do not have love, I am nothing. Not if I don't have faith, I am nothing. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Now, they're not separate, these things. They are all intertwined, aren't they? They're, They're all combined. But love should be our defining characteristic as church, as Christians. It is the one thing that should set us apart from other people about how we relate to one another, how we relate to others, and how that is characterized primarily by love. And so it's important maybe to think about these, this verse, our year, verse for the year, through the lens of love. And love is, is not just a feeling. I mean, anyone who's been married any length of time will know that love isn't just a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. And in a group of people like this, you know, if if everyone who belonged to Christchurch came on the same Sunday, we'd probably have close to 300 people. It's really hard to love every single one of them, to feel love for every single one of them, isn't it? There'd be a whole bunch of people you just think, they really annoy me. They are so irritating. But love is a choice. Love is a decision to say, I will put that person first. I will put their needs above my needs. I will always seek to accommodate them in some way because that's what families do. (coughs) Families, at their best, should be a community of love. And in a family, there is always compromise. 
There's always something about putting the others first. When everyone starts putting themselves first in a family, you can guarantee that family will become dysfunctional. Probably even break up. It's the same in church. We need to put each other first. Consider each other's needs. Seek everyone else's good here. That's what family means. That's what love is. And we've had a whole series of sermons recently about this, haven't we, called Belong. And in lots of ways, I want to keep banging on about this. I want to keep emphasising the need for us to become family. Now, if we're a group of a church of 20 people, that's really easy to do. It's really easy to do. In a church of anywhere between 250 and 300, that's so much harder to do. And that's why we keep, we keep need to bang on about it. To keep our minds focused on, yeah, we need to love each other. Because if I asked you guys to come up with your idea of the perfect Christchurch, I would have close to 300 different ideas, wouldn't I? You would all have your own perspective on what Christchurch should be like. And as the leader of the church, I know that most of you, no, sorry, squash that, all of you are unhappy with something about church. All of us are. I am. And I get to make decisions about it. But the whole point of compromise and accommodation and love means that actually that's part of it. We are so committed to one another that we put up with some things because we want to express love for one another. So let's get on to this, this verse. So, first thing I want to say is that we guard each other. When you look at that verse and you think, be on your guard, I can imagine that most of you are thinking, how can I protect myself? And I wonder whether Paul's actually saying that. Because he's writing to a church, not an individual. He's writing to a community of believers. And when he says, be on your guard, he's saying, corporately be on your guard. Protect each other. You know, when you think about a guard, as in this image, he's protecting someone else. That guy isn't there, just standing there, protecting himself. He's protecting others. And so as church, we need to protect one another. We need to look out for one another. We need to guard each other. The whole word, uh, in Greek, the word guard simply means to be watchful, attentful, attention, attentive. I wonder whether when you come, say, on a Sunday morning or when you go to your mission community or small group, are you aware of what's happening with other people around you? Are you looking out for those who seem to be struggling? Are you aware when people don't turn up? You know, pastoral care in a church of this size is a nightmare. Because we never know who's around. Especially in a church where people maybe go away for on holiday and things like that. You never know what's going on in a person's life. So we need to look out for each other. We need to be aware and be attentive to one another. And look out for the little signs of people struggling. In the 1 Peter... Chapter 5, 
Peter's talking about how, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does a lion devour? Usually the weakest in the pack. We protect one another by looking out for those who are struggling and drawing them back in. You are protecting one another. You are your brother and your sister's keeper. So when it says be on your guard, don't just simply think, how do I protect myself from what goes on in the world and from the enemy? Think about how can I play a part in guarding those around me? What do you do when someone comes to you and badmouths another church member? Or starts a bit of gossip with you? Or a bit of backbiting? It's really easy to simply play along with it, isn't it? That's the easy option. But maybe you should be protective of your brother or your sister. And challenge that behaviour in the other. One of the things that really winds me up about some Christians is the way they badmouth other church members to people outside of the church. To people who aren't Christians. What kind of witness is that? What kind of way of sharing the good news is that? It's not, is it? It's simply reinforcing other people's opinion of what the church is based on your own biases and prejudices. Let's protect one another. Let's seek the good for one another. Let's build one another up. That's what being on your guard can mean. But it also means this. Help each other stay true to Jesus. Stand firm in the faith isn't just about you standing firm in the faith. But if we're to be on our guard for one another, it also means helping each other stay true to Jesus. How many people here have absolutely 100% perfect theology? Anyone? Anyone know Jesus 100% perfectly? Sorry, I thought Fred put his hand in the air there, scratching his ear. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. We, all, we would all like to be that, but most of us think that. When it comes to discussions that we have with other people who we think are wrong, we act as if we have 100% perfect theology. We're meant to be a group of people, a community of people, who are encouraging one another to grow in faith. To not simply stand firm in faith, because that's kind of static, isn't it? But it's growing in faith. Growing in how we understand our relationship with Jesus. How we understand scripture. How we understand what it means to be a Christian in today's world. All of these things take a community to grow in. And that's so important for us to grab hold of. Because your faith isn't simply about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. It's about us all sharing together what we've learned about God. And be willing to be corrected on it. 
willing to have an adult, honest, open, transparent discussion about it. That's what it means to be a community of believers. In any kind of discussion in church, you can see people go on the back foot over these things. They get defensive, they get prickly. They get all weird about it because they want to be right. What's the point of being right if you lose a relationship with a brother or sister? What's the point of that? Because our defining factor should be love. We all want to be right. We want to learn what it takes for a community to be right. The next bit is, if we're to be courageous and strong, what does that mean? And I've got two questions for you. How far would you go for each other? For the people here in this room today, how far would you go for them? Are you willing to go the extra mile for them? Are you willing to put yourself out for them? Are you willing to set aside your own needs, your own comfort for all of these people here today? Because that's a quite a big question, isn't it? See, being strong and courageous is sometimes about making decisions about your comfort. Being strong and courageous means putting yourself into places of discomfort. And about putting yourself out for others. And you're in a church in a town like this. I mean, it's sad, isn't it, to hear that Debenhams is is closing. I mean, no one wants that. And when you look at some of the things that are happening in this town, around kind of mental health and addiction and poverty... The kind of big issues of life. In all sorts of ways, Christchurch, I think, has been kind of immune to some of that. But I can guarantee that it's going to start impacting us more and more. So what does it mean for us to start caring with people, for people who have mental health issues, who have addiction issues, who are struggling financially? How are we going to be prepared to put ourselves out for them? How are we going to be prepared to go the extra mile for those people to make sure that they know that they can belong to here as much as they can belong anywhere else? How far will you go for each other? But the other question is this. How far will you go to reach the lost? Because if we're meant to love people, to love our neighbour, as Rob reminded us earlier, your neighbour isn't simply the person sat next to you in this room. Your neighbour is every single person in this town. And in a town that is quite clearly in decline, that is longing for hope, that is longing for something that will allow them to live forward and not go in the defensive... They need us as church to reach out with the good news of Jesus. To tell them about how much God loves them. 
and how their lives can be so different with Jesus at the center of that life. But it takes courage and it takes strength to reach out beyond the four walls of this church to those who are in need. See, being courageous and strong is all about putting yourself into places of discomfort. Putting yourself into places where you're unsure that you'll actually be able to do what you're required to do. Where you're having to rely on the power of God. Where you're having to rely that God will come through for you as you try to reach those who need to hear the hope of Jesus. You know, our vision is that we will see this town transformed. Our vision is that we will see Jesus lifted high in this town. Yeah, and the one thing I can guarantee is it won't happen because we've got a brand new website. All right? Don't tell Simon that. He spent a lot of time on it. He's done a great job. But that, that's only like one little factor. In the end, we transform this town by you and me being engaged with the town, engaged with people who need Jesus, and being strong and courageous in those places. Simon reminded us um, right at the beginning of our Belong series that you know, we are scattered through the week. We are here for like an hour and a half, two hours maybe, on a Sunday morning. You might have an hour or two in a small group. The rest of the time, you are out there amongst all those people who need hope, amongst all those people who need you to show love to them. That's being strong and courageous. That is stepping out and doing stuff and being prepared to fail. There is a famous quote from Teddy Roosevelt from 1910. And uh, let me read it to you. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's a powerful passage from an incredible speech. And it's so easy for us who want to be on the back foot and be defensive to start talking about how we could do things right and they should do it better and they should do that when actually we should all be on the front foot living forward, seeking to share the love of God with everyone that we come across. See, living forward is all about simply loving people. As we start to talk about mission, as we start to talk about being family, you'll say at some point, how can I do both of these? How can I... Be involved with people in church and love them. And how can I 
share the love of Jesus with people who don't know it, there's one simple thing. All you have to do is simply love people. People. Any people. The people that Jesus puts across your path. Simply love them and do what you can for them. Whether they are in church or out of church, is neither here nor there, to be honest. You are called to love people. And there are people in church who need time and time again to hear the good news. And there are people outside the church who need to hear the good news as well. It's all simply the same thing. It's called discipleship. Leading people to Jesus and to become like Jesus. That is our one task. We only have one task. To make disciples. If we start to try and break it up into different things, we'll be overwhelmed. Remind yourself time and time again to live forward, is to go into all the world and to make disciples. And to not simply criticize others who are trying to do it, not trying to point out their mistakes, but to be the people who are, as Teddy Roosevelt says, are in the arena, who are covered with the blood, sweat, and tears of effort, who are prepared to be strong and courageous wherever they are who are daring greatly for Jesus. Teddy Roosevelt mentions, you know, a worthy cause. What greater cause is there than Jesus? We have the highest cause. You know, I've been fascinated watching the um, um, Extinction Rebellion protests, haven't you? People are willing to put themselves at the threat of arrest... Because of what they believe in. And we should support them in that. Because, you know, uh, unlike some, I won't mention any presidents, the world is struggling. We should support them in that. And we should be inspired by them. Because no matter how great a cause they have, our cause is greater still. If they're prepared to put themselves out, a 15-year-old girl calling thousands and thousands of people to a cause is incredible. If she can do that, what can you do? Can you dare greatly for Jesus? Because unless we don't, unless we do this, where will we be in 20 years' time? We will simply be on the back foot, playing defensive, remembering the glory days, and slowly, inevitably, winding down to death. I don't want this church to be like that, do you? I want this church to be living forward, showing, expressing, telling of the love of God in every possible place in this town. Living it out completely, wholeheartedly, with everything that we have, with blood and sweat and tears, leaving it all on the field, to use another footballing analogy. Leaving it all on the field for Jesus. Because we know, from last Sunday, when it comes to the end of all time, You're going to get a new body anyway. You're going to look glorious. You're going to look splendid. It doesn't matter what you think may happen in this world. 
you know what the final story is. We will all be with him forever. And I want to populate heaven with people from Southport. Wouldn't it be great to have a whole bunch of sand grounders in Southport? You know, wouldn't that be amazing? That's our job. That's our assignment. That's what God has given us to do. And so I encourage you. I encourage you to look out for each other. To be on your guard for each other. To help each other stay true to Jesus. To urge one another on to great deeds. To be strong and courageous. Going as far as you possibly can for each other. And as far as you possibly can for those outside this church. And do it all in love. Should we stand? Would the band like to come up please? As we stand, let me encourage you just to uh, kind of close your eyes and and block out all the distractions around you. There's always distractions, isn't there? There's always someone scratching their head and things like that, you know. So just kind of block off to that. Just put yourself into a place where there's simply you and Jesus.